0: Be seated. Thank you, team. It's so fun to have a band. Ah, oh, it's great. Thank you. Oh, I still feel like I'm on bonus time. You know, just a few weeks ago, I tried to tried to die, and so now I look around and go, things are just brighter. If you don't know, I had a big heart attack, and and uh, I can't but be amazed at the wonder that you and I get to worship Jesus together. <laughs> it's just great. Amen. Me too, I like that we have these things, yeah, but okay, so we're in Ephesians, and it's a great book and an amazing letter, and actually says some good things to us for today and our society, And I think one of the things that getting near death makes me maybe bolder that just saying, "Hey, isn't this just the truth?" and Ephesians is. So if you want to turn, we'll be in the second half of chapter two. And and, and what I want to do today is, is, let me set it up a little, is to say, you know, we have a common experience, calling this sort of our common experience. We, we do. You and I have something that we have in common, experientially, a base experience as a Christian for what our identity is. That means who we are. Like, it's it's something that <coughs> brings us together. And and this is, I'm saying it because right now in our society, there's a lot of argument over diversity. And you know what? Diversity is a fact. It's just there. I'm not the same as you. We can count the ways. But in the midst of the fact of diversity, all the ways that we're different, you and I actually have a common experience. Something that brings togetherness. That brings unity And so when the world starts, and even in our society and in our church sometimes, we start to break ourselves into tribes and communities and groups based on a lot of different attributes because God made us different, different in ideals, different in culture, different in in, in gender. There's this amazing good news. The gospel, that brings us together in common identity, not splitting us into separate ones. And we, so therefore, it's so important that we have a common experience. In the midst of diversity, there's unity. And this is the wonder of the gospel, not the fact of diversity, but the wonder of God creating unity. I know. With that little emphasis, little ring. I like it. Anyway, at, at one level, you know, I, I know, we, of course, we're common, we, we live, we're human beings. and As one who just stared death kind of in the face, I know we're all going to die. That's sort of a common experience we're going to share. But I'm not going to, like, stand around the fireplace and talk to you about my experience of death. I'm going to be dead. As a Christian, there's this special deeper identity. And and, and and in our society right now, when we're starting to question what our common identity is, Do I really have any ability to to say something to someone who looks different than I do, who's had different life experiences than I've had, who's experienced different sins and and oppressions or whatever? And and the answer that we find here is, well, we actually have a common experience. Not all the same, but in this the same And you need to see that. You need to see our common touch point. So even when we sin and we hurt each other and we're doing that and you do that every day, that there's this reality that you and I have that we're at the same unity. And I want to show you that today, this incredible good news for each of us. But it starts with not so good news, which is why my common experience, this is a scene from the Bible, it's the lepers outside the camp. The reality is the common experience that we have is to be start first in the outcast position. Not a place of privilege and strength. Let me show you. So this first idea that we have a common experience, we have a common experience as outcasts. So that's Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. Here it goes. Therefore remember, Paul writes... Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Okay, stop there for a minute. Just as we start in, we're going to do this one thought that goes all the way from verse 11 to verse 22. But it starts with one of the missteps that this world does, is it assumes everybody is worthy is good, and if we just value each person rightly, we'll have some big kumbaya moment. Did I say that right? Whatever. And the focus kind of is how we need to lift everybody up, to lift everybody. But the Bible comes and says, you know what? Our common experience, unless you happen to be one of the rare people who has a direct line to the nation of Israel back in the day, and there are those, all of us, I don't, I'm far off. Gentiles in the flesh, it says. This reality that every person here is a Gentile. That's not a good moniker. It's not a happy name. Gentiles in the flesh, all skin colors, all genders, all human beings. And here's the thing, not specifically in God's chosen nation. God's chosen nation was not you. Not me. And the chosen Israel nation, that's Israel, it looked out and called you the uncircumcision. That's like a bad name, you know. I mean, they weren't much either. There's a little dig with that. He says, oh, you were called the uncircumcision by those who were circumcised. Meaning, those who had the privilege looked down on you. The privilege of being God's nation. But I'll tell you what, they weren't wrong. Because remember, he says, remember how they were not hot stuff either, but remember who you were. Remember, verse 12, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, that's kind of a big deal separated from christ right jesus he's the only one that matters and he was who israel got to point to not the other nations not everybody else alienated from the commonwealth of israel you got to dwell on this the nation right there was one nation who god actually dwelt among them he lived among these people And there they they were. They got to have the tabernacle, the presence of God. They had all these things directly from God. And who did the other nations get? Nothing. The other nations are me. God didn't dwell anywhere else. Not in Babylon, not in Assyria, not in China or India or England or America. Most of those not even existing at the time, right? No other national group, you know, people who kind of all looked alike, Scandinavians in the north or Mongolians in the east or whatever, none of them had God dwelling among them. In fact, they were strangers. Strangers means having no part of the covenants of promise. That's the best news the world's ever had, that God made promises to Abraham and to David and to these people and these amazing promises of God. No part in them. That's, that's me. The promise of God being for them. and Dare I say God being for us. And no. And, and thus it says having no hope. So I don't care how well you treated each other. I, I, I don't care how much of this world's resources that you've had. I don't care what opportunities you've had. If you don't have the opportunity to know God, you've got no hope. That's what each person in this room was. Right? Is that wrong to say? This is our common experience. It might not look like it. You know, some people have more privilege than other people in terms of their resources or connections. They may seem problem free. But the reality is if you're all without God in the world, that's the experience we all share. We can try and differentiate us all out in that. I don't care how cool your culture is. I don't care what social status you experience. I don't care what you look like or how tall you are or how much you personally sacrifice for other people. You, without God, in the world. This is hopeless, and this is the world, and this is you. We're fighting over breadcrumbs. We're accusing each other of who's the worst outcast and who ought to treat somebody else better. It's tribal and into this mess of ugliness that the Bible says was us, me. In King Jesus. So we experience the reality that we don't have hope because we're outside. And then the next thing we experience is super important. We experience forgiveness. Have you experienced that? Cause that's what he goes and talks about, right? Over here you are despised and ignorant and hopeless and godless, and then in comes Christ, and it says there in verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What an incredible statement. You know how last week we talked about, we talked about how, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and then God came in and it's not a sharp butt, but here's a huge butt. That didn't come out right. <laughs> this one looks like you were outcast and hopeless and without God, but Jesus in comes Christ and look at what you experienced, this common experience being hopeless and godless and now we share the greatest gift ever given to outcast, Jesus. He acted, right? We didn't act. It says, we who are far off, arguing over ourselves, trying to position ourselves, we have been brought near. That's, that's something called the passive tense, you know, where it says that someone else has acted on you. Our common extent, and how how, how did he do it? We didn't do it. Jesus did it. How did he do it? By his blood, it says. This is the common experience we have. And it's earth-shattering. God's blood on you and me, every other conflict, every other injustice, every other grievance, every crazy sin, every true wrong that we have ever been guilty of washed away. The depth of this is so amazing that it brings something into your heart. It brings something called peace. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You see, Jesus is our peace. He calls a truce. How does he do it? By breaking down the dividing wall of hostility that rightly exists between you and people who oppress you or who lord it over you or who do things against you. His work, his sacrifice, his breaking. What is he breaking? The grievances we argue over. Okay, think with me for a minute. What are those? What are they? Petty things? Like I don't like your toenails? Don't look at mine. No. No. No real issues of law breaking that you and I have done against each other. Look, this is his breaking down, the wall of humility, uh, hostility, the removal of the law. Look, he's broken down in his flesh, verse 14, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So that that kind of long phrase, it says the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances. It's the list, right, of how you're supposed to be. The law, the rules, the way that we judge each other. Hey, 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 I I look over there. Have you been kind to your neighbor? Let me judge that. Is your neighbor loving towards you? Is that person over there coveting? Is that person in here obeying their parents? I'm going to evaluate. How can I evaluate? The law does it for me. It lists out all the stuff that I ought to be doing. And then I can take that. It's readable. It's, It's understandable by all of us. And I can evaluate your life. I can even evaluate mine. And I can find out you're not doing what you should be doing towards me. What does that breed? Hostility. Right? Not just between me and God, between each other. Are you being properly compassionate? Are you being sensitive to my own weaknesses? Am I what I should be? All of these questions revolve around judging according to the law. And the Bible says here, Jesus did away with all of it. In order to do what? Bring us together. To create in himself, right? That's what it says. To create in himself his blood, his cleansing of all sin. A new way to think about you and me. One new man in place of two. That's one body in place of two bodies, right? It's not gendered. No conflict between Israel and Gentile. No measuring of who's more righteous or who's more blessed. No special nation. No outcast nobodies. Just one person in Christ. It's amazing. Look what he's done. This, it says in the text, makes peace at the cross where our sins are forgiven in the blood of Jesus. That's what he says, you know, he says, And making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So so both the one who has standing and closeness and favor and privilege and the one who has nothing oppressed and put down and, and looked down upon. No, you, you come to the cross and realize the blood of Jesus, the most precious thing ever, poured out on both. The hostility is killed because of the great sacrifice of God for you and me. But, 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 but they put me down. But they acted like they were the high and mighty. Yeah. And Jesus reconciled us. And Jesus killed the hostility by taking away the measuring stick and by pointing to his blood. Do you receive his blood? And if you do, and if I do, then we have the only real peace that there is. That's our experience, right? Here it is. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So this is the Bible's view of earthly privilege and moral reckoning and judgment-based law-keeping. It's done. It's forgiven. We're at the cross. See, we don't hurl epitaphs anymore because they're not different groups anymore. There's just blood-bought treasures of God, and that's us together, right? No slave or free, no male or female, no, no Greek or Jew, just Jesus. That's the Bible. It's the gospel. And we'll get to see it in spades later in the letter as we walk through what it means, how we're going to act toward each other. But even right here, so we have this common experience that we all were outcasts, all of us far from God. There's no way with any good that we would try to do that we could get there. And then in comes Jesus, and by his blood, he He forgives us. And that's an experience. And then this last piece is about experiencing unity. That's the wonder. Look, unity, all of us. So our common experience, unity, and and here he goes, was saying, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is our common ground, right? We're not strangers or aliens, not with God. Now we're family. That's what the household means, right? You're in the family. And second, that we are together. We are fellow citizens together. Fellow citizens with everyone who just trusts this great forgiveness. Fellow citizens of the household of God. Wow. You see, right? It's not whether you're American or Canadian or Mexican. Not whether you're some degree of skin color. Not whether you're from a different culture. Now we have something so much bigger. It's based on a Message, it's not based on your action, it's based on the announcement that Jesus has acted. The message of this book, the Bible, so that's why it says it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the things that they said from God, and then Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This whole structure being built on Jesus. Not anybody else. And then finally he ends with this. He says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the sentence ends here, right? We all together, no matter what you think about works or law or race, no matter whether you're pre-trib or all-millennial, no, you... You experience incredible poverty or you've experienced great wealth. Whether you've got kids or never had kids. Whether you've been married or never been married. Whether the experiences of your life all match up or don't. Whether you experience great love or great rejection. Whether you have leprosy and suffer. Or your whole life you just were so blessed to be healthy till the day you died in your sleep. Those are not the same experiences. But you have this common experience that you're being grown into a holy temple, not by our actions of justice, not by our keeping of law that has been done away with. And it says again the same thing, right? You are being joined together. Not your work. The Holy Spirit's work. You are being built together. He does it. You don't. The Spirit is building you together with everyone else so we have this experience of what it means to have unity around the cross alone. Anyone who will trust in Jesus for salvation. That means anyone who gives up on self-improvement and law-keeping as a way to God. Okay. That's amazing to me. We have this common experience. This is so important, precious family, so important for living in today's world because Paul looks directly at you and he looks at me and and he says, you're outcast, you're hopeless, you're far from God, you're not one of the privileged. And you're even called that way by the privileged. And then he destroys it, not by improving you, not by improving your sort of inherent goodness, not by changing your status in society, but by pointing to what's been done in Christ for you, the gift. Anyone who believes this, God is at work to bind us together. We aren't at work. We don't somehow improve our outlook, but God is at work to mold us together. Our identity is the blood-bought Children of God by the work of Christ. It's the greatest gift you could ever have. So instead of you and I becoming more perfect, the blood of Christ is applied to us. Instead of law-keeping and improving that way, which means loving better, no, no, Jesus says you are forgiven. Instead of you working on unity, like, man, we got to really work... No. Jesus is creating it, his own family. And so in the midst of this reality of diversity, which is a fact, we're not the same. You can pick out the ways. There's this unity that's so much deeper than anything else. It's just a reality. Okay, I want to take that for a minute. That's the message of our text. That's what he's saying in Ephesians. And you say, well, I get that theologically, but right now there's a lot of talk in the world. And the world pulls us away from this. So I want to say a moment about what's happening in our society in light of what we proclaim in Christ here. So the first thing is this. You're a sinner. I, I, you can say it to me too. Go ahead, Swanson. You're a sinner. You are, right? You discriminate. You judge other people based on your own biases and your own experiences. You don't love like Jesus loves. I don't either. It's not like some big surprise, I hope, that we're all people of our experiences. We come with our experiences to things, and we make judgments based on our experiences. And so, therefore, you and I discriminate all the time. You know what? I don't love my neighbor as myself. I love myself more. I love my family more than I love your family. Should I? No. I should love my neighbor as myself, the law of God says. These are true things, right? I, 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 I naturally love people who are like me. I, I People pointing out that to me isn't wrong. It's the truth. Go ahead, brother, sister. You, you're free. Call out the wrong. It's deep. It's true. Many go wrong in denying that it's true we shouldn't sin abounds christian or not right people think they're pure in themselves or in their own lives and their choices not us man i was an outcast i had no hope in the world i was lost you know why i was lost i just worked on myself i was a pretty moral kid i did all i could to be right and make sure god is happy with me because i did right what a bunch of crap sorry i just about said something from the pulpit that i shouldn't say Oh, no. You realize you're still a sinner. You realize you don't think perfectly. And if someone comes up to you and says, you know what, you're still a sinner. My answer is not, well, no, I'm not. No, my answer is amen. So many people get this wrong, but it's the world, right? The world doesn't want to admit that we're failures. That's number one, that Dax is a sinner. But here's number two, and it's where where it goes wrong right away for people who want to step into the idea that we're sinners. The next step is what? What's the next step, according to this passage? Because where the world goes too much and many Christians go wrong is the next step is make atonement. Be better. Stop that. Get better, improve, love better, stop being a sinner. In fact, not only are they saying this to other Christians, people are saying it to whole swaths of people who are not Christians. There's no gospel in this. There's only the law. right? The law which does not make positive change. I cannot make positive change in your heart with the law. That's just the Bible. The law doesn't produce acts of righteousness. By works of the law, no man will be justified in the sight of God. There's no advancement by just pushing the law people. What you do when you push the law people is you you tell them and you show them they're condemned. That's awesome. But there's not the next step. If all you do is leave them there, and in our society this is happening all the time right now, people come up to you and say, oh, you sinner. Okay. We'll be better. Okay, I'll get right on that. And then I go and I try and be better. What does the Bible say? I'm still a sinner. I'll go work on that. Okay, I went and worked on it. I came back. I'm still a... I didn't somehow get out of James 3. I didn't get out of James 2. I didn't get out of all the things the Bible says about me. I'm still a sinner. You have offered me nothing. Our common experience is different. I say you're a sinner and you say amen. What's the next step? I am forgiven. Forgiveness. That's what's missing. That's Listen for it, you guys. You won't see it. Because what this passage teaches us is the law is what Jesus does away with. And in its place is the gospel. What's the gospel? The blood of Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility between you and other people. Not your atonement. Not your improvement. Not society's improvement. The blood of Jesus. That's another way to say forgiveness. The message of the cross is the message of forgiveness of sin, not of improvement of sin. For the Christian, we proclaim forgiveness, absolution in Christ. This is our common experience. This is our unity. We've come to the cross. The gospel is the ground of our new family, not improved behavior, not justice. Oh, God is a God of justice. But you and I are condemned. Except for what Jesus has done. If you grasp this, you grasp the incredible, incredible truth underneath your sin. It's deeper than all of the superficial arguing that's going on because the reality is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, adores you in your sin, not when you get out of it. The one who experiences Racism, for example, in our society, it's this talk is going on all over right now. The one who experiences this as a Christian can forgive. What an amazing thing. The, the, the one who, who, who is racist can receive forgiveness freely available in Christ. God's the one who works, not you. You're clean because of Jesus. There's great confusion right now about personal justice in our nation. We think we can use the law to improve the world. Well, of course we can point out injustice. That's a good thing. Do it. That's fine. Including that which runs deeply in our nation's history and and even resounds right now in a variety of ways. And how much you buy into that or how much you want to explore that, it all comes from the same angle. It's the law. And you can argue over finer points of the law. But our answer for it, you and I, is so much different than the world can understand. Because Jesus in his blood puts aside the law. To say you're a sinner is not to say, now don't be that way. To say you're a sinner is to say, you need a savior. This is the huge confusion Christians fall into by grabbing hold of books that only talk about sin. And they give no path for forgiveness. You'll get confused, and they're in our society right now. Christian churches are picking them up and going, "Oh, this is so great!" I read one last week. It's called uh, "It's called called White Fragility." It's out there, and it's being lauded. It's out of—you can't even buy it on Amazon. It's out of stock. It's like required reading if you're a a person who wants to be in tune to what's going on in our society. Let me tell you, it, it identifies some problems in our society. Do I have to be defensive? No. Of course our society has had trouble cuz we're we're not America's not God's nation. We're going to heaven. I don't have to be defensive but I'll tell you what. What are you looking for? I'm looking for any pathway towards forgiveness. And if I see none, it's not a book about Christianity. It has no hope to offer you and me. If all you do is stand up and say, evil you and evil you and evil you and evil you. And I go, oh, okay, evil me. What do I need to hear? Precious, precious, common experience people. I am forgiven. That's the blood of Jesus. You don't just leave me dangling there and saying, well, okay, now you just feel bad. Let me hit you again. And that's what some of these places, because there's nowhere to go. There's only the idea of how bad you are and how bad you are and how bad you are. And and you're still bad. Just agree with me that you're bad. Okay? What we need to have is the deeper understanding, the amazing truth, the thing that actually binds us together, that though I sin, my sin is cleaned and washed away because the blood of Jesus works. I am forgiven. I stand with a clean conscience, even as I read a book that shows me that by my skin color, I'm racist. Okay. But I'm forgiven. That's so important. And look for it. Don't, don't make worldly justice your identity. Don't think life is about improving America, which is just another nation of the world. Don't think life is about how much you love. You don't love enough. It's a dead end. You, you, you don't very either side doesn't take this incredible step into the gospel and tell people of the forgiveness that you and I have found because that's our common experience that we were lepers, we were outside the camp, we were not people of the promise, we were not people who were high standing, we were nothing, and the presence of God was nowhere near us. And then, oh, God acted in Jesus. And look what he's done for you and me. I've found it. And therefore, I've found family. That's what makes us family. No matter what you look like. No matter where you've been. No matter your gender. No matter your standing. It's the forgiveness of Christ. So, I'll say it this way. I'm happy to say this to you, family. I, I discriminate I'm a racist, not by choice, not by, oh, I go around doing this, but I can see as people attack me or say, hey, Dax, you you don't see rightly. Okay, that's not where I'm going to die on. I'll accept that because I know I'm imperfect in so many ways. Certainly even in this sermon as I talk, you know, I give you like probably a thousand words every Sunday. Some of them aren't going to be right. I'm a fallen human being. I'll go for that. I'm a sinner. My hope is not making the world less so. My hope is in the cross, which means I also stand before you forgiven. I'm clean. I can stand with a smile uh, to help the cause of justice in this world out there. It's admirable. That uh, except except even when you do it, you're not just. Jesus didn't make you just and send you out in, as his representative of justice into the world. Jesus saves you, leper. You unjust, unworthy one. This is our great hope that he did away with the standards and threw them away so that in him we have our hope. This is the great message that we gather around the cross, you and I, arm in arm, ah, social distancing, six feet apart. But this is our great hope is that's where our life is. So we pursue, pursue peace and we identify wrong and we call down the law and we keep it high. And we say, yes, I agree. There are such problems and they're there. But then the answer is what? We are forgiven. Come, experience peace at the cross. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing passage. Thank you for the truth that we who are far off and outcasts and undeserving, Lord, we've been brought near by Jesus. We're so grateful for forgiveness, full and free. Thank you for taking away the law of commandments and ordinances that are against us because we can't do them. And yet in you we have. Lord, our hope for justice and our hope for peace is you, Lord Jesus. Please come again. Please establish it on this earth because you are able. We know you are, Lord help us to be people of forgiveness. It's in your name we pray.